Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 212. Today, we are talking about how to make the most of this mass disruption by really bringing an always be learning attitude to where we are right now. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about how to improve your skill set if you feel like you're stuck at home or you're stuck in career paralysis right now. I'll be sitting down with Erica Lockheimer, the Vice President of Engineering at LinkedIn, and talking through how her career has really embraced this always be learning mentality. I also want to make sure you saw that last week's four live panels that we hosted all about stress management, money management, making the most of working from home without losing work-life balance, and how to manage a remote team, those replays are now all live and available on our blog at bossedup.org. I'll include the links in today's show notes, but just head to bossedup.org slash blog anytime you want to check out the replays from all four live panels. Later this week, we are gearing up for a live discussion all about how the COVID-19 health crisis may impact your job search. So if you are a job seeker and this has been weighing on your mind, make sure to tune in and join me later this week. Get all the details for the live online panel on how COVID-19 impacts your job search in today's show notes. Now, I'm so excited to sit down with my wonderful guest, Erica. Erica Lockheimer is the VP of Engineering at LinkedIn, and over her nine-plus years at the company, she built the growth engineering team into a high-performing 120-person team, focusing on increasing membership and deepening member engagement. In recent years, she was promoted to head of engineering for LinkedIn Learning, an organization that I'm a big fan of, as I've had the chance to not only work with LinkedIn Learning as a sponsor for the Bossed Up podcast, but also as an author. I have multiple courses available on the LinkedIn Learning platform that I'll link to in today's show notes as well. Erica is also responsible for leading LinkedIn's Women in Tech initiative, which we'll talk more about today, which is focused on empowering women in technical roles at the company. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm delighted to have you here. So first of all, I'm a big fan of the LinkedIn Learning platform, and I want to make sure I have a good sense of Exactly what do you do for LinkedIn Learning? Give us a little rundown. First of all, I'm excited that you're a big fan of LinkedIn Learning. Obviously, I am too. As far as my position for the team, I run all of engineering for the LinkedIn Learning platform. So anything that you see or use, I that is from my team. We build it. So the platform itself, uh, the app itself, and all the integrations that you also see on LinkedIn Learning. So have an amazing team, and we work closely across LinkedIn.com and LinkedIn Learning. 
Awesome. And lots of women in engineering and tech, right? <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about the gender dynamics that in your place of work in particular, but uh, you know, I'm always curious to hear how women in leadership in engineering got to where they are today because there are frankly not enough of you. Uh, it's not enough, uh, but we are making great progress and that's what I'm proud about. I've been in the industry for over 20 plus years, so I definitely know where we were and how far we've come. But again, we have a lot more to do. I'm really proud that I focus on diversity, even with the team that I build. And I make sure that I have diversity of thought and I try and get diversity of perspective and how I actually hire talent within my team. And that's also something we do across LinkedIn. In fact, I'm pretty proud that I run Women in Tech for LinkedIn. I started it about seven years ago. So it's part awesome. of my job. 20% of my job is, is leading this. And we have a lot of great programs where we invest in the women at LinkedIn. And we also invest in the community. Uh, so we've made a tremendous amount of progress. And we're learning as we go. And we have a lot of male allies and executive support also for the program. Awesome. I mean, it's so important, right? A big part of my work at Bossed Up is working with companies, especially tech, finance, engineering companies who are trying to figure out how to create that culture. I think one of the most troubling statistics around women in tech more broadly is that there you know there's there's been a pipeline problem that we've been working on but then there's the culture problem we've lo we're losing women at twice the rate uh, than men when it comes to staying in tech so what are some of the cultural commitments or what are some of the steps you can take as a boss as a leader as someone who's creating internal culture to to make that space safe and welcoming for women so it's an excellent question because I think you need to solve it on many different fronts. For example, I think about some of the things we're in leadership positions, right? So mm -hmm. we are making choices every single day. We're making choices of who we hire within the team, who we decide what project to give somebody else, and who we decide to promote and level up and give that and bet on them, basically. Right. And right. so I think as leaders, it's actually our job to change the game. And that includes whether you're you know, male, female, it doesn't matter. You're a leader. So you need to create a diverse team and you need to make different decisions. So for example, I can give you an example about probably about five years ago, I was reorganizing my team and I needed to put someone in a particular position. I have a couple of choices. I could hire I could bet on someone within the team or look for, you know, talent within the organization where they're looking for their next move, for example. Right. I consciously made a decision and said, you know what? There's this amazing woman on my team. She's not at the level where I need that position to be yet, but I know that she has potential. I know she has the grit and the tenacity and she can learn. And I even went to her... I was a little nervous, right? You're only as good as your bench and your leaders, but you have to right. make a conscious decision to bet on someone. And I approached her and I said, look, this is how I'm reorganizing my team. I think you'd be great at this position. And her response back to me was, Erica, I don't know if I could do it. I'm not, wow. I, mean, I don't know this and that. And I go, look, I understand all of that already, but what I can do is help you. I could, you know, mentor you the entire time and, and may, you know, we can, we will get there and have full confidence that it will happen if we're both like setting our minds on it. She, I said, go home, think about it, come back. She came back the next day and she said, 
I will do it, but I'm scared. And I go, great. (laughs) (laughs) I moved over to the LinkedIn learning team about two years ago and she followed me and she's a, a, a director on my team. And she was exactly what I needed. She's promoted. She's excelled. I mean, she's my right hand partner on a lot of things. with you. I love that. And I think that story illustrates this concept of always learning and always being open to learn because honestly, everyone's career requires agility nowadays, especially in times of uncertainty. We have to be open to iterating not only our trajectory in our career paths, but also our skill sets. So tell me a little bit about what always be learning really means to you. So always be learning is I even think about my career path. I think about all the pivot points of I was never ready for the job and always had to learn on the job. So Mm. I think about some moments when I had graduated even from college, it was during the dot-com days. Nobody knew, you know, we were all learning how to put up a website. It's not like I went to school for that, right? And I had to figure that out. And that's basically how I got my first engineering job is I just had to learn how to do it show that I could build something, show that I can learn. And I was hired. Right. I think about the mobile movement. I remember when the iPhone and the Android came about and nobody knew how to do mobile app development. We all had to learn in that moment. We had to upskill our entire workforce to also do that even at LinkedIn. And then now we're heading toward, you know, with AI where we need to upskill everyone. I mean, you have to always be learning. The world is constantly changing. You really don't have any other choice. Right. And it's interesting, right? Because I find that to be very different than the mindset that was drilled into so many of us in academic life. You know, I talk a lot about this transition between the semester sprint mentality of just figuring it out and putting your head to the, you know, your nose to the grindstone, keeping your blinders on, performing, perfecting, pleasing, delivering whatever the syllabus asks of you, to then life after graduation requires you to figure out what your own syllabus should be, figure out what skill sets might be in need of development, and continue to be proactive about seeking out learning and growth. What was your experience with academics like, and how did that relate to the rest of your career? How do you feel like that, you know, what lessons did that teach you about being agile and developing skills along the way? Yeah, when I think back of college, I mean, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. It took me seven years. I went to two junior colleges and eventually San Jose State and working the entire time. So for me, then I was so naive looking back at the way you describe it, where I just was like, I just need to graduate from college, get a job. And I did it. I didn't have yeah. that mentality that, oh, I thought I was done, you know, one and done and, and you're fine. And now if I only knew back then that this is going to be a continuous journey, it's going to be a journey of also you figuring out what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy and playing to your strengths and learning along the way. But I didn't understand all that at all back then. And that's why for me, I I do a lot of volunteer work. I work closely with Nancy State and I want to mentor as many young students as I can, because they need to understand that this is path is going to be a spider web. It's not straight into the right. It's not a one and done situation. You have to have that mentality where you're going to need to learn all the time, but you're right. Absolutely right. By looking back as students, I think the best thing to do is for us to help prepare them. Right. We're going to have to learn differently. 
It's interesting, right? Because I think in some ways there's a pretty dramatic generational difference there. At one point, getting a college degree was a ticket to the middle class. And it's not really the same way anymore, right? Like we have to wrestle our way through college and then get comfortable wrestling. <laughs> like Always. there will be more learning. And mainly it's the one thing that's very encouraging is the the notion that we're all figuring it out together as we go, which I, I think really underpins tech and your career in particular. I'd be curious, like, how did you gain the confidence to step into a job before you felt like you were 100% ready? And what would you tell to someone who's saying, I'm scared, I'm not going to take that job? I can give you a really recent experience. I've been at LinkedIn for almost 10 years and I started off leading the growth team and running all of engineering for the growth team. And I did that for over seven years. I built the team from the ground up and I loved it and I was excited, but there comes to a point where you want to try something different and either, you know, you expand your role, do something different at the company or leave. Those are really the only three choices. Yes. And I remember at that time, it's an uneasy feeling. And I remember actually speaking to a very wise woman at at LinkedIn, explaining to her how I felt. And she gave me a really, really good framework that I use a lot. I used in this moment. And I also mentor a lot of people with it. And it was a really simple thing. We wind up in her office for 45 minutes. She helped me. But it was more of like this framework of four different categories. One was your values. You figure out what your values are like, and your values don't change too much, right? Like for me, uh, you know, work-life balance, I, I'm not going to commute in a big way because I need to be closer to my family. Your motivators though may change over time. And so I would, she gave me this process where I was like, what is my true motivators right now? And my motivation at the time, as cheesy as it sounds, is I wanted to make a dent in this world. I wanted to have some impact. I wanted to have autonomy in my role. And then the other two pillars were what skills are you really good at where people tell you you're good at, not just you, what you think you're good at. And then the the last one was what skills do you want to obtain? So for me, I wanted to learn how to run a line of business. I want a PL, I wanted the autonomy. So what helped me in that situation is when you can articulate exactly what you want and plant those seeds within the organization you're in or Mm. outside, then that's when people can help you and align opportunity for what you want. So that's what I've realized is if you could figure out exactly what you want, and that's exactly what I was able to do. I was like, I could say, I want to do this. And I had a lot of executive support within the company and they presented LinkedIn learning to me. I would have never, ever thought about that opportunity of saying, I want to run that line of business. They presented it to me because I was able to be clear about what I wanted. So I think it changes throughout your life and where you're at in your career. Maybe I'm working with an engineer and she wants to learn AI. I've had, I had that happen to my team and I said, great, you planted a seed. I'll think about the next project to align opportunity for your right. interests. So I think that's the way I look at it. And if people can just really focus and be clear about what they want is key. Yeah. And easier said than done, right? Like having a model like that, clarifying your values, your motivators, your skills, and what skills you want to develop is really helpful for some essentially quiet internal reflection first. I think sometimes we get so busy escaping a job we don't like or fleeing from a situation we don't enjoy that 
we overreact. We kind of like swing like a pendulum, as a career coach Kathy Caprino calls it, into this opposite and equal reaction away from what we don't like. Whereas taking the time to clarify and articulate and really learn how to communicate what it is that we're looking for is essentially the process of self-advocacy at work. Whether those internal you know, allies or external allies can help you get there, I don't think any of us navigate these kinds of career changes alone, (laughs) right? It takes a community. It takes being forthright and assertive about what you want and why you are worthy of it, which can be hard. And change is hard in general. Tell me a little bit about your philosophy on, on change management as a leader. It can be challenging, right? Because especially when you're dealing with either you can have a reorg could be change, right? Um, You can be in a moment where the company needs to pivot in a different direction. And in change management, I think it's all about really having the right influence and the storytelling that has to go along with it. So people have empathy of the change, right? I can't go in and say, this is where we're headed, this is where we're going to go. No one's going to follow me. They need to feel that they want to go there. So I'm mm. big on storytelling, why it's important to the business, why is it members first or customers first, and really telling the story along the way so people feel a sense of ownership in the change. I think if you get people to have a sense of ownership in the change, they will go in the right direction. And sometimes it will take not one time, but three times or multiple times in the multiple forums to be able to explain that. And that's what I I tend to do. I'm not here just a leader, just follow me. It's more of the empathy so people have ownership of the change. So that's where I'm a big fan of putting the direction for people. I think that is so important. A lot of our listeners are emerging leaders, maybe first-time managers or aspiring first-time managers, or maybe they've been in management for a while, but want to develop those skills further. And a big Part of what I've been talking about here at Boss Up a lot lately is inspiring leadership, not just management, because we can't always count on authority in the form of our title or some hierarchy to give us power over leading a team, right? And saying, follow me, I'm your boss. <laughs> no one <laughs> cares, right? <laughs> as an organizer and as someone who started my career off in campaigns and elections, I have seen firsthand that power is not derived from authority. Power can be created through relationship building, through trust building, and inspiring followers, not just leading direct reports. So what are some of the tactics and strategies or or skill sets that you've developed as a team leader to inspire that kind of loyalty? Yeah, I feel that so many different directions on the inspire side, I feel what I need to do is you also have to get personal with people, Mm. right? I can't just all of a sudden talk to the entire team. I can inspire them in a group setting, but I think you also need to inspire them on an individual setting as well. I think the one-on-ones to understand the questions they have or the fear that they have, bring all those things to the surface so you can say, I hear you. And this is why I think we need to go there. But sometimes I think we also need as leaders be a bit vulnerable, we may not have yes. all the answers. And so I would, I, I say it all the time. I go, look, this is the plan. The plan is the plan until the plan changes. And this is why, but you know what? 
we may have more information that may take us in a different direction. And in fact, you're in a role that can help influence that direction. So if you find out some information or you want to look at it in a different way, I'm all ears. I don't care what level you're at. I don't care if you're junior engineer all the way to executive management. I want to hear from everyone in the trenches. So I like what you said before. I'm a big fan of trust and relationship building because that is the core. People will forget what you said, but they will never forget the way you made them feel. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I always try and get personal with people because then there's no egos, there's no politics, there's no, you know, where something else is trying to, you know, get away from the true point of where you're trying to head. And so I feel that is key for sure. And so I try to, personal relationships is key for me. Yeah. And I think vulnerability just shows your humanity. Saying like, I love this this phrase, the plan is the plan until it changes, which I don't think could sum up our current moment better, quite frankly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's like, here we are. Everything. I mean, recently, to be completely honest, the past three weeks has included me leveling with my team, including my brand new second full-time hire ever at my (laughs) small business who I hired like three weeks ago and sitting him down and saying, here's the plan as it was. And it's not going to happen this way anymore. So what do we want to do? You know, like how will we pivot? And that vulnerability and just leveling with people and saying, I don't have all the answers, I think engenders real trust. Because otherwise, why would they follow you anywhere? If you we're simply saying, it's always right. Everything's perfect. Everything has to be perfect. This is absolutely right. I have no doubt in myself. And that kind of bravado style confidence is just not at all what inspires me or most people. Yeah, I be, human. be human, be vulnerable. You And also if you make mistakes, guess what? Right. I made the wrong call. I, I, I made mm. the wrong call. Own it. Yeah. That's hard. I feel like that's hard, especially for women in positions of leadership where there aren't many women in positions of leadership. For example, in tech, in engineering, this is a well-documented phenomenon called the glass cliff, this concept that women leaders, when they are the one and only woman, make a mistake, their mistake is dramatized and perceived as much more catastrophic than men's mistakes. And it's part of like my philosophy, which is you know, the world isn't fair, but we have to hack our way into it anyway, which I say is all about playing the cards you've been dealt as you change the game. But how do you handle owning mistakes when you feel like you're jeopardizing your job? Like, how is that possible to really do in an authentic way in a in an environment where your performance matters? Yeah, I, it is, you know, an unfair world at times, uh, but we are getting better. But the tactics that I personally use is I, I have to be myself no matter what, even I have to own the mistake. Uh, it may have a different perspective where it will be a little bit worse compared on based on gender biases. But some of the tactics that I use that have been super helpful is really allyship. It's getting better within my team, uh, as well as the executive leadership with more women in leadership positions. There's some of us, but it's still occupied by mostly men. But what I have found is I have a couple allies on that I trust and I will tell them exactly how I feel. And I, and I will say, you know, this is how I'm feeling about this situation. This is where, you know, I may maybe made a mistake. Can I get some feedback and just get help and mentorship? And then when I bring it to the forefront in front of everybody, guess what? That ally 
basically reinforces like some situation that they've ran into or, hey, it's totally acceptable. I would have thought about doing the same thing. And so I think the allyship is so, so key because even though some people are just unaware to be supportive or have those biases, I realize at the end of the day, they don't mean to be malicious or anything. They're just unaware and they don't know how. So I think the more that we can educate our allies and they help them be better leaders, to be honest, then I think, I think that's great. Yes. The ownership is on us, but how else are they going to know? Right. You know, it's so funny. I don't know if you know this, Erica, but when LinkedIn learning first approached me to become an author, the reason they did is because they were looking for an author to take on the course, how to be a male ally to women at work. And that was my first course for LinkedIn learning. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Great. I'm going to watch it. I'm a big believer in the concept, and I think it is such an important piece of the of the puzzle. I love this. So to talk a little bit further about this concept of retooling, especially in this time where we have a little bit of time on our hands, a lot of us find ourselves working remotely, a lot of us find our careers disrupted in a pretty big way, how can folks take seriously this concept of always be learning? How can we incorporate that into how we're uh, future-proofing our career or betting on our future selves? It's kind of like exercise, right? We know mm. it's good for us. Learning is good for us. You're going to have to make it a priority and take the time to do it. So I look at it, there's a lot of different ways where you can use chunks of your time. Like for one thing on LinkedIn learning, all our courses are audio, right? There's times when you are on the train or in a car or taking a run. Those are all opportunities where you can multitask. You could basically listen to a course, listen to something, and you'll be a lot better off doing it at the same time. I like, for instance, I run every morning and I put my, you know, my headphones in and I will listen to a course or I'll listen to music or think about a problem I need to solve or a problem that I need to solve. I'll think of a course that can help me be better at that. Right. That's where I think we just need to be more strategic. Just like we take care of our health. It's self-care, right? So this is, we have to do this. Like we have to always be learning. We have to take care of ourselves, our bodies. It's mind, body, soul. It's entirely all related. And that's the way we're going to get ahead of the curve. It's just, it's part of our nature now. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I'm a big believer in putting a problem that you're trying to solve at work on the back burner mentally. And then, you you know, when you're hiking or in the midst of doing something that is totally unrelated to the work at hand, your brain is like processing that problem on the back burner. And then the idea hits you in the middle of a walk yep. with your dog. And I love that concept. I think it's so, so important. It just feeds into the importance of of intermittent rest and renewal. And learning is a great way to do that, especially as a way to engage your brain if you find yourself stuck and the the skills that you're currently using at your day job do not fulfill the skills, like you mentioned earlier, that you are desiring to develop further. Yeah. And I think another perspective is even think about, you know, we can be just always addicted to our calendars and let our calendars rule our life. Mm. I think it's so important to put that think time in. I literally on my calendar, I have blocks of time that's called think time. And it also is in the morning to your point when I'm taking my run and I'm solving that problem. Like I, by rule, I do not take any meetings before 10 unless absolutely necessary because that's Mm. my think time to be better. That's to solve problems, to learn or else when are you going to make the time? So I just think it's really, really critical. Ugh, if anyone else out there can do that, do it. I 
changed my schedule around to make time for that as well. I don't take meetings typically before noon almost every day because a lot of my job is creation, although that's changing. We now have a little staff huddle every morning, but that changed my life. Like prioritizing think time, creative creativity time or creation, if that's a part of your work, is so key. And, and speaking to your commitment to work-life balance, you know, you mentioned your commitment to work-life balance as a value early on. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like paint a picture for our listeners of what it looks like to be a woman in engineering, in tech, in leadership. What does the rest of your life look like? So the rest of my life, you mean on the personal side? Sure. And like, how does it, how do I, mean, I hate to ask the question of how do you do it all? But <laughs> it's important, I think, to paint a picture of what, what it takes to get to where you are and, and what advice you would counsel for others who want to do lots of things in our lives, not just achieve professional success. Life is complicated. I would say that just like software, we're always learning and I'm iterating my life all the time, really like A-B testing my life. Mm. I think about the things I have to deal with. I, I, I have two kids. I have a husband. I have two dogs. One's a puppy now. And then also have five chickens. And my son also has two lizards. I mean, we're a little farm. <laughs> You're running a little zoo over there. I love it. You know, it brings me sanity, uh, even though it's a lot to work with. But I find that it's always been different, like a new challenge every single day. And sometimes during life moments, I think about, you know, what my husband needs from me, what my kids need from me, what my animals need from me. It always changes right? Because those environments are always change. I think about when I first had a child, I didn't know, no one gave me a playbook of how to, how to do this. And I had to figure it out. We had to figure it out. And so having, a, I know looking back at that moment, I have a great partner, right? He shared a lot of the load. So I think that partnership was also key. But then when you have something new into your life, you also have more things to do. So simple things like taking care of the house and cleaning and feeding the family and laundry, all those things add up to time. So I quickly learned that I need to outsource everything but love. (laughs) So I get every kind of bit of help I can, whether it's Mm -hmm. services, you know, it's great now, even back then, we didn't have all these food services that we have where you get groceries delivered. I mean, I just outsource absolutely everything I can and get help with all the house, you know, chores that need to be done because I need time to be with my family. So that's really number one priority as well. It's about quality time, not quantity time. We're busy, we're working, we're on the treadmill Monday through Friday, but the weekends are all about the kids. So I like to go on vacations. That's really important to me and really truly be present. And you also have to realize there's a reason why you got married in the first place, right? So (laughs) where's your time for date nights and and things like that? So I think you have to carve out time for what is needed out of you and also what you want out of life. And so you have to create boundaries. And so I learned to say, no, this is my priority. And, and also myself, I need to get out of the house, run with my dog, run from everybody, right. And have my own time. I think that is key. So boundaries are really, really important and outsourcing as much help as you can and can afford is what I would recommend. Yeah. And it's good just to hear as a reminder that being in a position of leadership, doesn't mean it has to occupy your entire life. In fact, it shouldn't. 
You know, leaders who do nothing but work all the time aren't the best leaders. <laughs> so I think it's it's helpful to be vulnerable and be a real human too. It makes your humanity make more sense. So congratulations on like the career you've built, first of all. And thank you for sharing some time and, and so much of your of your experience with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Erica. Make sure to find all the relevant links pertaining to today's discussion at bossedup.org slash episode 212. And I should share that we actually didn't get any voicemails in response to last week's COVID-19 episode in which I asked how you're doing. I think folks are just overwhelmed and focused rightfully so on making sure your bases are covered right now. So what we've decided to do is go back to the regularly scheduled routine of featuring your boss move of the week at the end of every episode. So here is this week's boss move of the week. Now, this one requires a little bit of a backstory. A few weeks ago, a member of the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook named Cindy posted about a baffling experience that she had that actually a lot of other members of our community could relate to. She had two different phone interviews or online interviews scheduled for that day. And after waiting for a few minutes, she reached back out to the interviewers who were supposed to interview her, the recruiters, to say, what's up? What's happening? you know, are we still on and never heard back. She was basically ghosted twice in one day. Now, this is a frustratingly familiar experience for way too many job seekers right now, because I guess recruiters are just overwhelmed and they're just ghosting employees or ghosting prospective employees, which is just not a great feeling at all. So I was so delighted to see her post recently uh, in the Courage community to update us. And here's what she wrote. If you remember my post from Monday about being stood up for two phone interviews in one day, here's an update. Eventually, I was able to get in touch with both interviewers who apologized profusely and rescheduled the interviews. One was yesterday, the other was this morning. Both went well and are good opportunities, though quite different from one another. I'll let you know how it all turns out. Thanks for your support and suggestions. I want to just say, Cindy, how much I really appreciate your candor here and your resiliency in the face of like total mistreatment. <laughs> so kudos to you. Congratulations. I think this is a total boss move, being persistent in the face of what can feel like rejection, but really is just ghosting uh, on the job hunt. It's not an easy thing to handle. So I thought you handled it brilliantly. And I can't wait to hear how the interviews turn out. Maybe we'll have another boss move update from you in the future. So congrats, Cindy. Keep bossing. And uh, it's a lesson for all of us to keep going after what we want, even if at first it seems like they're not picking up what we're putting down. It might not be us. It might be them. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, for sharing, for weighing in, and for being part of this virtual community of listeners and women who are lifting as we climb. It means the world to me right now to come together as a community in support of one another's health and well-being, career ambitions, and just personal sustainability. So take care of yourselves, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose, and together we will lift as we climb. 